0: Welcome to our continuing educational training series. I'm Catherine Short, Marketing Manager for First Healthcare Compliance, a division of Panacea Healthcare Solutions. I'd like to welcome everyone to today's session, Evaluation and Management Updates 2023, Training and Q&A. First Healthcare Compliance is pleased to have Panacea Healthcare Solutions here today to present this important 2023 update. Panacea provides software and technology-enabled services to a wide variety of healthcare organizations to improve their revenue cycle, coding, and compliance with expertise in mid-revenue cycle management. In an era where 95% of provider revenue is driven by accurate coding and defensible, yet optimal pricing, clients trust Panacea to deliver unparalleled value in strategic pricing, price transparency, Chargemaster, Compliance, and Revenue Cycle Solutions. From Pranacea Healthcare Solutions, we are so pleased to have Director of Coding and Documentation Services, Becky Jacobson, presenting with us today. Joining later to moderate a lively Q&A discussion will be Kathy Pride, Executive Vice President of Coding and Documentation. Becky Jacobson has over 20 years of experience in coding, billing, auditing, reimbursement, and collections. She has a diverse background, having performed duties in medical offices from patient care to collections. She has audited and educated physicians, physician extenders, and mid-level providers nationally, focusing on multi-specialty clinics with an emphasis on surgical coding. Becky is a nationally recognized speaker who strives to educate all healthcare personnel with proper interpretation of guidelines and regulations set forth by the government. Kathy Pride is a proven leader in healthcare revenue cycle management with extensive experience in management, project implementation, coding, billing, physician documentation improvement, compliance audits, and education. She has trained and managed health information management HIM professionals in multiple environments and has provided compliance auditing and documentation education to hundreds of physicians and coders throughout her career. So, Becky? Welcome and thank you for being with us here today. Welcome
1: again, 2023 evaluation and management Update. So let's jump right in. We do have quite a bit of information to cover. The Panacea disclaimer simply states that this education session was prepared using the American Medical Association CPT guidelines, as well as the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services official documents. In this session, we will cover the new evaluation and management guidelines, often referred to as EM visits. We will also cover what is involved in selecting an EM level of service, when to use prolonged care service codes, a quick update to critical care, and we will end with how and when to apply split shared visit guidelines. All of the changes discussed in this session go into effect on January 1st, 2023. There are significant changes to the hospital inpatient and observation care guidelines, which we will cover in this section. We are going to cover the guideline changes first, and then we will cover the criteria required for each level of medical decision-making and how time is calculated and reported for each level of service later in the presentation. This slide is an overview of the guideline changes for hospital inpatient and observation care. One of the biggest changes in this category is the combining of the inpatient hospital and observation E&M services into a single category of E&M codes. The new category is titled hospital inpatient and observation care. With the combining of these two codes, the Observation Codes 99217 through 99226 are deleted effective January 1, 2023. You need to distinguish the place of service correctly on the claim form to indicate if you are reporting an inpatient hospital service or an observation service. For inpatient hospital services, assign Place of Service Code 21 and for outpatient or observation hospital, assigned place of service 22. The code selection for this category is now based on medical decision making or time. The guidelines have eliminated history and physical examination as elements for code selection when using medical decision making as the criteria for the code. The definition of time has been expanded to include both face-to-face and non-face-to-face time on the same date of service. One major change to using time is the guideline modified the definition of time to eliminate the requirement that greater than 50% of the total time must be spent on counseling and or coordination of care. When we talk about observation versus emergency department versus inpatient, The one thing to always keep in mind is the status of the patient, not the physical location. Observation is an admission status, not a location. What this means is the patient can be physically located in a bed in the emergency department, yet they are in observation status. Additionally, the patient could be located on a hospital floor and still be in observation status. The determining factor is the admission status as documented in the medical record by the admitting physician or the qualified healthcare professional and not the physical location of the patient. For the initial hospital inpatient or observation care, you can report the initial code when the patient has not received any professional services from the physician or qualified healthcare professional of the exact same specialty or subspecialty who belongs to the same group practice during the stay. There is a difference in guidelines here between AMA and CMS. CMS does not recognize subspecialties, therefore, they apply the guideline as same specialty in the same group. So again, you can report that initial hospital inpatient or observation care when the patient has not received any professional services from the same physician, from a physician or QHP of the exact same specialty or subspecialty, who belongs to that same group practice for commercial payers, but as I just mentioned, does not recognize subspecialties. The admitting provider who writes the order to place the patient either in observation or inpatient status appends modifier AI to indicate they are the admitting physician, also known as the physician of record. A significant change to the guidelines involves patients that are admitted to inpatient or observation status in the course of an, of an encounter from another site of service such as the office, emergency department, patient's home, or nursing home. The services at the initial site can be reported separately using Modifier 25 on the other e service. An example here is that the patient is seen in the clinic and that same physician admits the patient to inpatient status. You have to note the physician must have a face-to-face visit with the patient in both locations on the same day. This was implemented to cover the practice expense for the additional service prior to the admission. Another example is the patient is seen in the emergency department, and then the patient is subsequently admitted to observation or inpatient care. The emergency department code can be reported using modifier 25, along with the initial observation care code. Again, you must ensure that the physician sees the patient in both locations. However, one important thing to note, CMS did not accept this guideline. The Physician Fee Schedule Final Rule specifically disallows the use of this guideline for claims submitted to Medicare or Medicaid patients. CMS only allows one E&M visit per day in this scenario, so all services that are provided in the other healthcare setting are rolled into the admission E&M service. You will need to check with commercial payers to determine if they plan to accept this guideline. For consultations that are provided at a separate site of service on the same day as the patient admission and the same consultant performs an additional encounter for the same patient in the hospital, they would report the appropriate consultation code for that service with modifier 25 and then report the appropriate subsequent care code, which is now 99231 through 99233 for the inpatient visit. CMS only allows one E&M visit per day in this scenario. So in this scenario, the services would all be rolled into the hospital subsequent care code. As a reminder, Medicare does not recognize consultation codes. Inpatient and observation discharge services are now reported with codes 99238 or 99239. These are both time-based codes. 99238 is 30 minutes or less on the calendar date, and 99239 is greater than 30 minutes spent in discharge services on the calendar date. Of note, CMS allows all face-to-face and non-face-to-face activities performed by the practitioner during the date of the encounter and within three calendar days following the date of the encounter that may be counted towards CPT code 99239 as applicable. If time is not documented, you should report 99238. If you are assigning code 99239 for your discharge service, the documentation should reflect actual time spent to demonstrate the total time was greater than 30 minutes. Though the AMA CPT guidelines do not provide documentation guidelines, payers prefer to see documentation that is unique to each patient and not templated statements such as greater than 30 minutes were spent on discharge services. So being as specific as possible with your number of minutes is always recommended and is considered best practice. The time you may include for discharge services is time spent only on discharge services performed and documented by the billing physician. Resident time cannot be counted in the calculation of time-based services. Discharge services must include a face-to-face visit and should be reported on the date the physician or qualified healthcare professional saw the patient. Your total time for discharge includes the final examination of the patient, discussion time spent by the discharging physician instructing care to the patient and all caregivers, prep of the discharge record, prescriptions, and referral forms. Be sure your documentation reflects that you had a face-to-face visit with the patient on the day of discharge. I can think of no better way of showing your face-to-face with the patient on the day of discharge by documenting your final exam of the patient. If no exam is performed, ensure documentation states the patient was seen by you and a brief synopsis of your conversation with the patient. For patients that are admitted and discharged from hospital inpatient or observation status, on the same calendar date, you report 99234, 99235, or 99236, dependent on the documentation. The basic guidelines for these codes did not change. Prior to 2023, these codes were also used for both inpatient and observation, admit and discharge on the same calendar date. For patients that transition from observation to inpatient hospital status, a transition status level does not constitute a new stay. So you can only report the initial care code once per practitioner, per specialty, per group. For an example here, if the patient is admitted to observation and you reported the initial observation care, Code and the patient worsens on day two and transitions to inpatient status. You do not report an additional initial visit as this is considered the same stay. The day two service is reported using a subsequent care code. So even if your patient changes status, the day two service is still reported as subsequent care. However, what would change? is the place of service on your claim form. The place of service in this example for the initial care would be 22 for observation, and the subsequent visit would be place of service 21 to indicate the status change from observation to inpatient. But because it is the same stay, only one initial service per physician can be reported. Keep in mind these codes represent the professional services and not the facility charges. In this example, the observation services for the facility will be rolled into the inpatient charges upon discharge, but the physician professional services reported should reflect the service provided on the date of the encounter. Many of you may be familiar with the CMS 8 to 24 hour rule. It is important to note that this rule applies to facility charges. Physicians and qualified healthcare professionals should always report their professional service with the appropriate CPT code based on the guidelines for that service. However, this guide can be used to assist in determining what code family to use. If the patient admission is less than eight hours on the same calendar date as the admission, or the start of observation, you code Initial Hospital Services only, 99221 through 99223. If the stay is eight or more hours on the same calendar date and the admission and discharge are on the same date, use the same day admit discharge codes, 99234 through 99236. If the stay is less than eight hours and spans two calendar days, you would only report initial hospital services 99221 through 99223. And finally, if the stay is eight or more hours and spans two calendar days, you would code the initial hospital service code 99221 through 99223 plus the discharge day management 99238 or 99239. Additionally, with any of the initial services or same day admit discharge codes, you can also use prolonged inpatient or observation services if applicable and appropriately documented. This table is a representation of the codes for each of the hospital care sections including the medical decision making and the time requirements for each of these sections. There are significant changes to the consultation code guidelines which are now going to be covered. As a reminder, CMS does not recognize or reimburse for this category of codes. If you are reporting consultation services for a Medicare or Medicaid patient, please refer to the appropriate category of EM codes based on the place of service in which the service, the consultative service took place. For example, that could be hospital, office, nursing home, and so on. The intent of the consultation codes have not changed. However, the guidelines were revised to clarify that a consultation is provided at the request of another physician, qualified healthcare professional, or appropriate source to recommend care for a specific condition or problem. The consultant may initiate diagnostic and or therapeutic services at the time of the initial consultation or schedule a subsequent visit. The consultant's opinion and any services that are ordered or performed must also be communicated by written report to the requester. When a shared medical record is used, the documentation should include a notation that the requesting practitioner was notified of this report. A transfer of care is a referral and not a request for a recommendation of care for a specific condition or problem. However, a transfer of care can take place after the initial consultation based on the consulting physician's recommendations. When that transfer of care happens, those services should be reported using the appropriate evaluation and management codes from one of the other E&M categories. A couple of examples, a patient is seen by the orthopedic provider and is noted to have high blood pressure. The orthopedic provider refers the patient to a cardiologist to diagnose and treat the patient's blood pressure. This is a transfer of care and not a request for a consultation. On the other hand, a diabetic patient is seen by their family practice physician, and the family practice physician has been successfully managing their diabetes for several years. However, in the recent weeks or months, the family practitioner is having issues keeping the patient at goal and requests a consultation from an endocrinologist for their recommendation. The visit by the endocrinologist would be considered a consultation and the endocrinologist would provide their recommendation to the family practitioner in writing. Upon review by the family practitioner, the endocrinologist's recommendation, the family practitioner determines it is best that he or she transfer the care of the patient for their diabetes to the endocrinologist. This would now be considered a transfer of care for all subsequent visits. Level one consultation codes 99241 and 99251 have been deleted to align with other similar EM categories allowing a maximum of four levels of service. I wanna talk for a moment about consultations provided in the emergency department when the patient is not admitted for hospital level care. There are a few different ways these can be reported and it's often based on payer guidelines. From a CPT perspective, if the consult is provided in the emergency department setting and the patient is not admitted to the hospital, it is reported with an outpatient consultation code 99242 Through 99245. For an example, if you're called to the emergency room to render a consultation, the service must meet the definition of a consultation service, meaning that you have a request by another physician for your recommendations regarding a specific problem or condition. And though your recommendation will likely be relayed verbally or on the spot to the ED physician, a written report must also be provided as this is a requirement of the consultation service. Remember, Medicare does not recognize consultation codes. So how is a consult reported to Medicare? You may report these with emergency department visits 99282 through 99285. Medicare does allow more than one physician to report ED codes as long as the physicians are of different specialties. Additionally, most major payers also allow ED codes to be reported by multiple physicians as long as they are of different specialties. Another scenario for reporting services is when a non-ED physician sees one of their patients at the ED as a convenience and it does not meet the definition of a consult. You can report the service using the ED visit codes, and for payers who do not accept ED codes, you always have the option of reporting office or other outpatient visit codes, 99202 through 99215. If the patient is seen in the emergency room and admitted as inpatient or observation, and you are the admitting physician, you would report the appropriate level of initial hospital care 99221 through 99223. The rules are the same for inpatient and observation if you are the admitting physician. Remember to append modifier AI to the initial hospital care code and utilize the appropriate place of service code reported on the claim form. In the scenario where the patient is admitted and discharged on the same calendar day, remember to utilize 99234 through 99236 when both an initial and a discharge service were provided on the same calendar day. Additionally, according to AMA rules, you would also report the consultation provided in the ED with modifier 25 Using the outpatient consultation visit codes 99242 through 99245. Keep in mind the difference discussed earlier between CPT guidelines and CMS reporting guidelines regarding reporting two E&M codes for the same patient on the same data service. For Medicare patients, you can only report the initial hospital visit code. 99221 through 99223, or in the scenario when the patient is admitted and discharged on the same calendar day, 99234 through 99236. If the patient is seen in the emergency room and admitted as inpatient and you are not the admitting physician, you should report the appropriate level of inpatient consultation visit code from 99252 through 99255. Again, ensure that your service meets the definition of a consultation and remember that Medicare does not recognize consultation codes. So for Medicare patients, you will need to use either the appropriate level of ED code or the initial hospital visit codes, depending on the admission status at the time the service was rendered by the consultant. The two options here, report the emergency department codes, 99282 through 99285 if the consultation was provided prior to admission or report initial hospital or observation visit codes, 99221 through 99223 with no modifier for the initial service if the consultation was provided after the admission. This table is a representation of the consultation codes for the consultation category of codes and includes the medical decision-making and the time requirements for each of these codes. The guidelines for emergency department category of codes did not have significant changes with the exception of the criteria for selecting a level of service. The description of 99281 was revised and like 99211, does not require the presence of a physician or qualified healthcare professional. An example that was provided by CMS in the final rule stated, if the patient comes in for suture removal and those sutures were placed by another provider in a different location and the wound is healing well, you could report 99281. CMS has since clarified that 99281 cannot be used in the scenario where a patient is triaged by a nurse and leaves the emergency department before they are seen by the physician or qualified healthcare professional. The most significant change for 2023 is the selection of the level of service in the emergency department is now going to be based on medical decision-making, as time is not a descriptive component for the ED levels of e service. The levels of medical decision-making are not synonymous with 2022 and prior year's levels of service. Please note, 99282 is straightforward medical decision-making, 99283 is low, 99284 is moderate, and 99285 is high. This aligns with the office and other outpatient visit category of codes. There are significant changes to the nursing facility services, which we will cover in this section. The category of codes should be reported for patients who are in nursing facilities, often referred to as long-term nursing care facilities, skilled nursing facilities, including swing beds, psychiatric residential treatment centers, and immediate care facilities, for individuals with intellectual disabilities. Note this category does not include assisted living facilities. Use the appropriate place of service code on the claim to report the type of facility where the service is being rendered. Types of care are reported with the same codes. In other words, regulatory visits for annual comprehensive assessments are no longer reported with code 99318. CPT guidelines instruct you to use the subsequent nursing facility care codes. Hospital discharge services may be reported separately on the same date of a nursing facility admission or readmission. This is a long-standing guideline and is the rare exception in which CMS allows two E&M services on the same date of service. However, you must be certain to not overlap reporting of the services. Time related to the discharge service may not overlap any time spent on services provided for the nursing facility admission. Regulations pertaining to the care of nursing facility residents govern the nature and minimum frequency of assessments and visits and who may perform the initial comprehensive visit. So when you're determining who can code that initial comprehensive visit that is truly based on the regulation of care for nursing facility residents and may vary from state to state. So be sure to check your state regulations. When selecting the level of service based on medical decision making for the initial nursing facility, the number and complexity of problems Addressed at the encounter is considered. For high level medical decision making, a new definition is recognized. However, this new definition only applies to the initial nursing facility care subcategory of codes. The new definition is multiple morbidities requiring intensive management. This is defined in CPT as a set of conditions, syndromes, or functional impairments that are likely to require frequent medication changes or other treatment changes and or reevaluations. The patient is at significant risk of worsening medical including behavioral status and at risk for admission or readmission to a hospital. It is important to ensure that your documentation indicates the patient has multiple conditions with frequent medication and or treatment changes and is at risk of worsening and or is at risk of readmission to the hospital. Initial nursing facility codes 99304 through 99306 are used once per admission per physician or qualified healthcare professional, regardless of the length of stay. The initial comprehensive visit is provided by the principal or admitting practitioner. The use of the AI modifier is recommended as physicians of other specialties may use these codes as well. In the nursing facility, the initial comprehensive exam can be performed by a physician or a qualified healthcare professional. However, the initial comprehensive exam in a skilled nursing facility must be performed by a physician unless the qualified healthcare professional is allowed by state law. Again, we urge you to check your state regulations regarding um, the qualified healthcare professionals. The initial services by other physicians who are performing consultations can be reported using the Initial Nursing Facility Codes 99304 through 99306 or inpatient consultation codes 99252 through 99255. Basically, the Initial Nursing Visit Codes are used to report the comprehensive assessment for admission. But they are not limited to the admitting physician. Consulting physicians may also use the same codes or consultation codes if allowed by the payer. Basically, you do not need to provide the comprehensive assessment to use the initial visit care codes. Codes 99307 through 99310 should be reported for all subsequent EM nursing facility visits including those provided for periodic regulatory assessments. Report the nursing facility discharge codes when the patient is discharged from the nursing facility. These are time-based codes and have similar requirements as the inpatient and observation discharge codes. There must be a face-to-face encounter with the patient and or family or caregiver and the visit can be on a date other than the date the patient leaves the facility. For reporting purposes, use the date of the face-to-face encounter for the date of service. Of note, transitions between skilled nursing and long-term nursing facilities do not constitute a new stay when selecting the appropriate code from the initial or subsequent subcategories. These tables represent the consultation codes for nursing facility services and include the medical decision-making and the time requirements for each of the codes within these categories. Home or resident services has several guideline changes and we are now going to cover those in this section. The most significant change to this category is the combining of the domiciliary, rest home, boarding home Custodial care and home care services into a single EM category. Home or resident services EM category covers physician or qualified healthcare professionals providing services in the following settings: a private residence, an assisted living facility, a group home that is not licensed as an intermediate care facility, custodial care facility and Residential Substance Abuse Treatment Facility. The categories are divided by new and established patients using the same definitions of new and established utilized in the office or other outpatient visit category. If using time as your criteria for selecting a level of service, please note that you cannot include your travel time. These tables are A representation of the codes for home or resident services category of codes and includes the medical decision making and the time requirements for each of these codes. Of note, the new patient code category does not include 99343, as this was deleted in 2023 due to an overlap in medical decision making. Between 99342 and 99344. In this section, we are going to cover in detail the criteria used for selecting a level of service using time as the selection criteria. Time is defined by CPT as total time spent by the physician or other qualified healthcare professional face to face and non face to face on the same date of service. Counseling and or coordination of care is no longer required to dominate the visit when using time as the basis for code selection. What this means is that it is no longer necessary to document greater than 50% was spent on counseling and or coordination of care. If you have a template or a dot phrase with that statement, we recommend you remove the statement from the template as it's no longer a requirement to use time as the determining factor for code selection. You cannot include time spent on separately reportable services. This is not a new guideline. However, this guideline is reinforced in the revised guidelines for 2023. We recommend that if you are using time as your selection criteria, your documentation reflects total time spent on the EM service and total time spent on the separately reported services. Remember that separately Reported services include minor procedures as well as diagnostic studies, including the interpretation and report of those studies, counseling for children's vaccines, smoking cessation, and so on. Basically, if you're reporting any other CPT code with your EM service, the time included in the performance of the additional CPT code should not be included in your EM time do not include time and activities that are normally performed by ancillary staff. Examples are obtaining vitals, recording the history. However, the physician or qualified healthcare professional's time reviewing the documentation that is entered by the ancillary staff is allowed. If you are an attending physician at an academic center, do not include time spent teaching. Only count time spent by the teaching physician on activities that are directly related to the patient's care. Time spent reviewing a resident or fellow's documentation related to the patient is allowed as well as the services personally performed by the teaching physician. However, the time spent by the resident or fellow without the presence of the teaching physician and general discussions regarding a condition that are not related to the specific patient are not counted. The teaching physician should indicate in their documentation that only that the total time excludes any time spent teaching. <laughs> so what activities are included when calculating time for code selection? Basically, all activities that are personally performed by the physician or qualified healthcare professional and are directly related to the patient's care and are not included in separately reported services. The list of activities is the review of tests and records in preparation to see the patient, obtaining and or reviewing separately obtained history, Performing a medically appropriate exam. As a reminder, a medically appropriate history and or exam should be documented with every patient encounter, regardless of whether you are using medical decision-making or time as your code selection criteria. Counseling and educating the patient, family, and or caregivers involved in the patient's care. Ordering medications. Tests, procedures, or any other services, referring and communicating with other healthcare professionals, including other physicians, physical therapists, home health nurses, nutrition specialists, and the list goes on. Documenting in the medical record, independently interpreting results that are not separately reported, communicating test results to the patient, family, or caregiver and coordination of the patient's care that is not separately reported with one of the codes from the care management service category. In these tables, the time thresholds for each of the hospital inpatient and observation codes have been highlighted. Due to confusion in the previous guideline versions, time ranges and typical times were revised to time thresholds in the 2023 guidelines. The minimum time threshold for each level of service is included in the code descriptor in the CPT book stating the time threshold must be met or exceeded to report that level of service. For an example, if using time to report the initial hospital inpatient or observation care code 99221, the practitioner Must spend at least 40 minutes of face to face and non face to face time related to the patient encounter. When the time spent reaches 55 minutes, the level of service then increases to 99222. The AMA recommends that if you are using medical decision making as the selection criteria, it is not necessary to document time. Only document time. If you are using time as your selection criteria, here's an example. If you spent 30 minutes or 50 minutes performing the service for an initial hospital visit and the medical decision making meets moderate complexity, the correct code is 99222. However, the 50 minutes is below the 55 minute threshold. Therefore, it is not necessary to document time in this scenario. When services performed by a physician or qualified healthcare professional involve direct patient care that is beyond the usual service of an E&M, prolonged service codes are used to account for the additional time spent by the practitioner. Prolonged services Are only reported when time is used to select the level of service and the maximum time threshold for that family of codes has been exceeded by 15 minutes or more. Use only time on the same calendar date as the face to face encounter. Prolonged service codes are add on codes and should be reported in addition to. The EM service. Prolonged services can only be used with the codes representing the maximum time threshold for that family of services. For initial and subsequent hospital visits, prolonged services can only be used with 99223 and 99233. For patients that are admitted and discharged on the same calendar date, Use prolonged services with 99236. Report 99418 for prolonged services with the hospital inpatient and observation category of codes. Be sure to include time on the date of the visit, providing services and or coordinating the patient's care, even if the time is not continuous. All of this time is included in the threshold for the primary code, and time exceeding the primary code's threshold is reported using prolonged service codes. For example, if you see the patient multiple times in the day, be sure to include all time spent regarding the patient's care, including non face to face time. So when reporting prolonged services for hospital inpatient and observation, the first code you report is either 99223, 99233, or 99236. The maximum time threshold is included in the primary code's description. The next 15 minutes is included in the primary code. Once you have exceeded the primary code time plus the additional 15 minutes, you may report the prolonged service codes in 15 minute increments. Therefore, so if you provide 90 minutes of service for an initial hospital visit, you report 99223 plus one instance of 99418. When you reach 105 minutes, you would report your primary code 99223 plus two instances of 99418. And this keeps going on based on the 15 minute increments that you have documented. There are no frequency limitations and restrictions for reporting prolonged service codes. As a reminder, you can only use prolonged service codes when time is used to select the level of EM. Time used to calculate prolonged service codes can only be for the services provided on the same calendar date as the face-to-face encounter. However, CMS disagrees with the guidance provided by CPT by the AMA. The disagreement is with the time thresholds required by Medicare before the prolonged service codes are allowed to be reported. To be clear, the CMS time thresholds only apply to the prolonged service code. The time thresholds in the CPT book descriptors are allowed by Medicare for the selection of the primary code. So there has been a lot of talk about the rationale that has been provided by Medicare. And the reason they're doing this is due to the RUC valuation of the codes for work RVU purposes. CMS's position is that the valuation of the codes include additional pre and post time and the time thresholds in the CMS table are representative of the time used to determine the work RVU for each of these codes. By utilizing the AMA's time threshold plus 15 minutes would result in an overpayment of the e service. In addition, for specific codes, CMS allows additional non-face-to-face time spent by the physician or qualified healthcare professional before and after the date of the encounter to be counted. The table on this slide represents the CMS time threshold and must be met for each of the revised EM categories. This is quite a bit to digest, especially since the new guidelines were supposed to simplify, not complicate the coding process. If you would like, additional details or clarification regarding CMS's position on reporting prolonged services, please refer to the 2023 Physician Fee Schedule Final Rule. You can find the full final rule, all 3,304 pages, by simply googling 2023 Physician Fee Schedule Final Rule. Because CMS did not accept the AMA's codes, or guidelines for prolonged services, they have created Hixpix codes to report the prolonged services for Medicare and Medicaid patients. For hospital services, report G0316 in addition to the primary E&M code. The time threshold as determined by CMS plus the next 15 minutes are included in the primary code. CMS does not allow you to report G0316 for any time unit that is less than 15 minutes. So you must meet or exceed that 15 minute mark. Similar to the CPT guidelines, you may only report prolonged services when time is used to select the initial service. Time includes both face to face and non face to face spent on the patient's care within the surveyed timeframe for initial and subsequent services, 99223 and 99233 only count time spent on the visit date. Code 99236 includes the date of the visit plus three days after the visit. Of note, The additional time allowed from the surveyed timeframe is only for prolonged services. The time included in the primary code only includes time from the date of the visit. Codes are reported in 15 minute increments and there are no frequency limitations. Moving on to consultation codes. As a reminder, CMS does not recognize nor pay for the consultation category of codes Therefore, these guidelines only apply to payers who allow the reporting of these consultation codes. In these tables, the time thresholds for each of the consultation subcategories have been highlighted. These time thresholds are used when selecting your level of service for consultations using time for your selection criteria. Prolonged services are reported for consultation services performed in an outpatient setting when a physician or qualified healthcare professional provides services involving direct patient contact beyond the threshold time of the E&M service. Report Prolonged Service Code 99417 in addition to the E&M Outpatient Consultation Code 99245. Remember, the highest time threshold in the category must be exceeded before you can report prolonged service codes, prolonged service time also includes face to face and non face to face time spent by the reporting practitioner on the same date as the patient encounter. In this slide, we demonstrate the time threshold requirement for outpatient EM category of codes and when it is appropriate to append a prolonged service code. The primary code. Includes 55 minutes. Then the next 15 minutes is included in the primary code. Once the threshold of 70 minutes is met, you will add one instance of 99417. When you reach 85 minutes, you report the primary code plus two instances of 99417, and so on. Just a reminder prolonged services can only be used with 99245. From the office or other outpatient consultation category of codes. Prolonged services for consultations performed in a hospital or facility setting. These um, involve direct patient contact beyond the threshold time of the EM service, and they are rendered by a physician or qualified healthcare professional. You would report 99418 in addition to the EM consultation code 99255. Remember the highest time threshold in the category must be exceeded before you can report any prolonged service code. Prolonged service time also includes face-to-face and non-face-to-face time spent by the reporting practitioner on the same date as the patient encounter. So the time requirement, the time threshold for 99255 is 80 minutes. The next 15 minutes are again included in the primary code. Once the threshold of 95 minutes is met, you will add one instance of 99418. When you reach 110 minutes, you report the primary code, plus two instances of 99418, and so on. Just a reminder, prolonged service codes can only be used with 99255 from the inpatient and observation consultation codes. These tables represent the time thresholds for initial and subsequent nursing facility services and the time thresholds have been highlighted. Initial services are represented in the first table and subsequent services are in the second table. Prolonged services are reported for nursing facility services performed in a nursing or skilled nursing facility setting when a physician or qualified healthcare professional provides services involving direct patient contact beyond the threshold time of the EM service. You would report prolonged services code 99418 in addition to the EM nursing facility code 99306 for initial or 99310 for subsequent nursing f- services. Prolonged service time also includes face-to-face and non-face-to-face time spent by the reporting practitioner on the same date at, as the patient encounter, even if the time is not continuous. So for nursing facilities, this slide will show you the time threshold requirement and when it's appropriate to append a prolonged service code. The primary code includes up to 45 minutes, and the next 15 minutes is included in the primary code. So once you meet the threshold of 60 minutes, you will add one instance of 99418. When you reach 75 minutes, you would report two instances of 99418, and so on. Just a reminder, prolonged services can only be used with codes 99306 and 99310 from the nursing facility category of codes. In this slide, it shows the time threshold requirement for the nursing facility services for prolonged services that are reported to CMS. The time threshold as determined by CMS plus the next 15 minutes is included in the primary code. CMS does not allow you to report G0317 for any time unit less than 15 minutes. Similar to the CPT guidelines, you may only report prolonged services when time is used to select the level of service. Time includes both face-to-face and non-face-to-face spent on the patient's care within the surveyed timeframe. Nursing facility visits allow you to count time for prolonged services, for services provided one day before the visit, the day of the visit, and three days after the date of the visit. Note this surveyed timeframe is only for prolonged services. The time included in the primary code only includes time from the day of the visit. These prolonged codes are reported in 15-minute increments and there are no frequency limitations. In these tables, the time thresholds for the new and established home or resident codes have been highlighted New patient codes are represented in the first table and established patients are in the second table. And then also please note that code 99343 is a deleted code effective January 1st, 2023. Prolonged services reported for home or residence services, that again is when a physician or qualified healthcare professional provides services involving direct patient contact beyond the threshold time of the EM service. Report prolonged services code 99417 in addition to 99345 for new patients and 99350 for established patients. Remember the highest time threshold in the category must be exceeded before you can report prolonged service codes. Prolonged service time also includes face-to-face and non face-to-face time spent by the reporting practitioner on the same date as the patient encounter. So this slide demonstrates the time threshold requirements for home or resident services and when it's appropriate to add a prolonged service code. The primary code for new patients is 99345 which includes 75 minutes and the primary code for established patients includes includes 60 minutes plus the next 15 minutes is also included in both primary codes. Once the threshold is met, you will add one instance of 99417 in addition to the primary code. Then each 15 minutes, you would add an additional instance of 99417. Just a reminder, prolonged services can only be used with codes 99345 and 99350 from the home or residence category of codes. For Medicare CMS patients, the time threshold is determined by CMS, plus the next 15 minutes is included in the primary code. CMS does not allow you to report 994 or G0318 for any time unit less than 15 minutes and there are no frequency limits. Similar to the CPT guidelines, you can only report prolonged services when time is used to select the level of service. Time includes both face-to-face time spent on the patient's care within the surveyed timeframe. Home or residence visits allow you to count time for prolonged services provided three days before the visit, the day of the visit, and seven days after the date of the visit. Note, this surveyed time frame is only for prolonged services. The time included in the primary code only includes time from the day of the visit. So, wow, we made it through time. Let's talk about selecting the level of service based on medical decision-making. These updated guidelines mirror the guidelines established in the 2021 CPT guidelines for E&M service in the office or other outpatient visit category. So if you're fortunate enough to be reporting those or coding those or auditing those services performed in the office or other outpatient setting, these guidelines are going to be pretty easy for you to understand. The guidelines applied to selecting the level of medical decision making are applied to all EM categories. The next several slides highlight the medical decision making level that is required for code selection in each of the EM categories covered in today's presentation and can be used as a reference guide to create tip sheets. The first set are the hospital inpatient or observation care as well as the same day admit and discharge codes. Next are the consultation codes and we have the nursing facility services and finally home or resident services. As mentioned the guidelines used for selecting the level of medical decision making are applied to all e categories as well as subcategories such as new, established, initial, and subsequent visit types. Medical decision-making is comprised of four levels, straightforward, low, moderate, and high. Each of these four levels have three elements, the number and complexity of problems or problem addressed during the encounter, the amount and or complexity of the data to be reviewed and analyzed, and the risk of complications, morbidity, and or mortality of patient management decisions made at the visit. We will be discussing these three elements in greater detail as we move through this section. Code selection, requires that two out of these three elements be met for overall medical decision-making. When we talk about the complexity of the problem or problems addressed, documentation to support the complexity of the problem addressed is extremely important as this is the first step in determining the level of medical decision-making. Much of this detail is often documented in the patient's history as well as the assessment and plan. First, to demonstrate a problem was addressed and analyzed, the documentation must support the problem was addressed at that encounter by the reporting practitioner. Copying and pasting a problem list into the assessment does not demonstrate that the problem was addressed nor does it demonstrate the complexity of the problem. The history of present illness is a good place to start by documenting in the HPI um, each condition or problem that is being addressed at the visit. Be sure to include the complexity of each problem using words such as acute, chronic, uncomplicated, complicated, not responding to current treatment, uncertain, severe, exacerbated, whatever verbiage you want to use there, but be descriptive. Then the assessment and plan should reflect the management and treatment options considered and or implemented during the visit, including new treatments, changes in treatment, and discontinuing treatments. The idea is to convey not only was the problem addressed, but the level of complexity involved in diagnosing, managing, and or treating the problem. Remember the guidelines no longer require you to document a specific number of bullets or elements for the history or the exam. So you only need to document a medically appropriate history and or exam. Concentrate your documentation efforts on where it matters most to support medical decision-making and of course, medical necessity of the problems and or conditions that were addressed at that specific encounter. For example, it is no longer necessary to document a complete review of systems that includes all 14 systems or 10 or more systems unless unless it's clinically appropriate to the problems addressed at the current encounter. So, when we talk about the four levels of complexity that contribute to medical decision making, those are straightforward, low, moderate, and high. Straightforward complexity is for patients who present with one self limited or minor problem, or perhaps a follow up visit where a problem is completely resolved. Low complexity would be for two or more of those self limited or minor problems or one stable chronic illness or an acute uncomplicated illness or injury. The first two are pretty self-explanatory, so let's talk about what constitutes an acute uncomplicated illness or injury. The e and guidelines define an acute uncomplicated illness or injury as a recent or new short-term problem with low risk of morbidity for which treatment is considered, there is little to no risk of mortality with treatment and full recovery without functional impairment is expected. A problem that is normally self-limited or minor but is not resolving consistent with a definite and prescribed course is an acute uncomplicated illness moderate complexity is when the practitioner addresses two or more stable chronic illnesses or a chronic illness with an exacerbation progression or side effect of treatment or an undiagnosed new problem with uncertain prognosis or an acute illness with systemic symptoms or an acute complicated illness or injury and finally high complexity is when the practitioner addresses a chronic illness with a severe exacerbation, progression, or side effect of treatment, or an acute or chronic illness or injury that poses a threat to life or bodily function. The e and guidelines at the beginning of the chapter has defined many of the terms in the complexity section. I encourage everyone to review those definitions to ensure that you are are applying the guidelines correctly. This is the complexity portion of the medical decision making table. We're going to keep adding on to this as we move through each of the three different elements and then we will have a slide that puts all three elements together. As we move into data, the amount of data to be reviewed and analyzed. The first level is minimal or no data to review. It doesn't meet any category and it falls into straightforward medical decision-making. The second is limited data and you have to meet one out of the two categories, tests and documents or an assessment with an independent historian. This would fall into low medical decision-making. The third is moderate data and you have to meet one out of the three categories, tests and documents, or assessment with independent historian, or assessment with independent interpretation of a test, or discussion with an external physician in a different group or specialty, and or an appropriate source. This falls into the moderate data category. And the third is high level. The next is high level of data and you have to meet two out of the three categories. The categories are the same as moderate. However, instead of meeting one out of the three categories for moderate, you have to meet two out of the three for the high. We're going to discuss these levels in a little bit more detail. One thing to note on these next few slides is how they build onto one another. So for limited data to review and analyze, you have to meet one out of two categories. Category one is tests and documents. Any combination of two from the bulleted Items from category one is met, or you have an assessment requiring an independent historian from category two, you then have limited data. Category one includes the review of prior external notes from each unique source or the review or ordering of each unique test. A unique test is defined by one cpt code so if you order two tests and they each have their own unique cpt code that would be two tests ordered and it would meet the requirement for limited data Um, so for an example here if you order a cbc and a cmp those are two unique tests and you would meet category one for limited data. The AMA has made a clarification, any two items count towards the threshold of two and they can both be from the same bullet. So I was just giving you that example with those labs. That assessment requiring an independent historian, it can be a family member, a caregiver, EMT, police officer, anyone who can provide additional information to the physician regarding the patient's history and of course that must be appropriately documented. Moderate data to review was expanded to three categories. You do need to um, meet one out of the three categories for this. Category one includes the tests and documents that we just discussed and the assessment requiring an independent historian has now moved to category one. The AMA has clarified in the guidelines that ordering of a unique test includes the order and the review of the results and cannot be counted twice, even if it is at a subsequent visit. Additionally, you cannot count a order or review of a test that you are billing for. So you want to be very careful when looking at data to ensure that you're, you're not over giving credit for things that have already been reviewed, for things that have are billed by the same provider, or for the review of a test after it was ordered at the previous encounter. So be a little bit careful with that. Category 2 includes the independent interpretation of a test when the test was performed by another physician and the billing provider is not separately reporting it. The AMA guidelines have clarified that this Does not include interpretation of lab tests. These are for tests that require direct visualization, like radiology, EKG, as you know, x rays, CTs, MRIs, etc. As a reminder, you cannot count an independent interpretation of the test if you are billing for it. And the third category is the discussion of management of the patient or test interpretation with an external physician and or an appropriate source. A good example of this is when the ED provider discusses a radiology test with the radiologist or a hospitalist to discuss possible admission to the hospital, an external physician is defined as a physician outside of your group practice or a different specialty if within your practice. Remember for moderate data, you only have to meet one of these categories to meet that moderate level of data. Okay, so just one out of these three categories. Our final level of data to review is extensive. The only difference between moderate and extensive is the requirement that two out of the three categories be met to to meet the extensive level versus one of the three to meet the moderate level. AMA has clarified data elements such as lab or other test results that are carried forward from note to note do not count in the data reviewed as they have already been reviewed and analyzed. They are part of the medical decision-making, but they do not count over and over, even if it's relevant. For category three, the discussion requires an interactive exchange. This exchange must be direct. Sending notes, text messages, or other written exchanges does not qualify as discussion. For appropriate sources, those are not healthcare professionals, but they may be involved in the management of the patient, lawyer, parole officer, case manager, teacher. An appropriate source does, it does not include the discussion with family or caregivers. They are not considered an appropriate source. One other clarification is that the historian cannot be an interpreter They must be adding to the history, not merely interpreting what the patient is saying. This is the data to review portion of the medical decision-making table, and is a recap of what we've just covered in a simplified table. So our final element to medical decision-making is risk of complications. The level of risk is determined based on the risk of complications and or morbidity or mortality of patient management decisions made at the visit associated with the patient's problem or problems, diagnostic procedures, and treatments. This includes possible management options considered but not selected after shared medical decision-making with the patient or family. So for those possible management options, It includes the what's selected as well as those that are documented as considerations, but not selected after shared medical decision making with the patient and family. Just like complexity and data to review, there are four levels of risk. Straightforward is minimal risk of morbidity from any additional testing or treatment. Next is low risk, then moderate risk and finally high risk. Risk is truly the most subjective element in the medical decision making table and according to the guidelines is determined by the treating physician or qualified healthcare professional. For best practice it would be advantageous for the provider to document the level of risk within the assessment and plan. To avoid rejections and appeals, the documentation should reflect the risk of the patient and not rely on coders and auditors to determine the risk level. Documentation should reflect the thought process of the treating practitioner, so skip the documentation that's not clinically relevant to the current visit and focus on the documentation that is clinically relevant and relates to complexity data to review, and the risk of morbidity, the three elements of medical decision-making. This is the final section of the medical decision-making and demonstrates the four levels of risk. As we wrap up this section, here are a few documentation tips. Remember, you always need to document a chief complaint. It is required on each and every encounter. It does not need to have a separate heading or a line. It can be included in the history of present illness or in the subjective portion of a note. Most of the time, the chief complaint is documented, but we see documentation fall short on this requirement, typically within subsequent hospital and nursing facility progress notes. Every encounter note must stand on its own so don't forget to document why you are seeing the patient on that date. For the history component, we recommend using a narrative versus a versus templated documentation. Coding E&M visits as of January 1st, 2023, no longer require all of those bullets to be documented. Only include the clinically relevant documentation for the date of the visit. All that extra documentation is not counted towards your level of service. The same with the exam. It is um, only necessary to perform and document a clinically relevant exam. It's the level of medical decision-making that now um, determines your level of service. One thing to remember here, While not utilized for the level of service, the guidelines are clear in stating that a medically necessary history and or exam is a required element of the services. Documentation tips for your medical decision making. Make sure that you document all problems addressed and or treated at the visit. So, when you're documenting your assessment and plan, assessment number one, two, three, four, plan number one, two, three, four. Address each problem with a plan. Document complexity using those descriptive words acute, chronic, mild, severe, et cetera. Document all studies that are ordered and analyzed and be specific. Um, labs ordered. You should really say CBC, CMP, said rate, ordered, right? So we know that that's three unique tests. Um, The same thing, you cannot just document labs reviewed. Remember, you have to analyze those in order to get credit. Document all your treatment options, comorbidities that affect treatment, and treatment goals to demonstrate the level of risk. If you plan to use medical decision-making as your determining factor for code selection, here's a summary of the changes. Um, History and exam are no longer scored to determine the level of service. You do need to have a chief complaint and history of present illness should be documented on all encounters. Only diagnoses that receive active treatment during the encounter will count towards the level of service, and additional workup is no longer a consideration for scoring the level of service. Changes to complexity and data to review reflect specific combinations of work to score medical decision-making. The old table of risk has been combined into one column and uses only the treatment options from the old table of risk and does not include any examples for straightforward or low risk so really when it comes to that risk area again um, we recommend that the treating provider document the level of risk finally we put it all together in one slide remember You must meet two out of the three elements to support the level of medical decision making. For an example, if the complexity is low, but data to review and risk are moderate, you then have met overall moderate medical decision making. However, if complexity is low and data to review is low, but risk is moderate or high, you have only met low medical decision-making because two of the three have to be met in in that category to select the overall medical decision-making level. For critical care services, there was a technical correction that we will quickly cover. There are no changes to 99291 critical care for the first 30 to 74 minutes, however, CMS and AMA differ in their requirement to report the add-on code 99292. CMS has stated in the final rule that 99292 can only be reported after 104 minutes or more. In other words, the full 74 minutes for code 99291 must be met and all 30 minutes of 99292 must be met before you can report 99292. CMS also indicated that a complete 30 minute time increment must be met in order to report additional units of 99292. We want to quickly cover split shared visits as there has been a lot of talk about this within the last year or year and a half. Split or shared e visits are defined as services that are split or shared between a physician and a non-physician practitioner, that being a PA or an NP. This is a CMS guideline, So check with your commercial payers to determine if split or shared visits are allowed. These visits are only applicable in the facility setting. The physician and the NPP must be in the same group and they must see the patient on the same calendar day. Shared or split care visits are allowed In a provider based outpatient clinic, these are clinics that report their services with a place of service 19 or 22. Shared split care services are also allowed in the hospital inpatient or observation setting and include both initial inpatient, subsequent visits, and discharge services. They are also allowed in the emergency department, nursing facility, and include. Time included in prolonged services as well as critical care. The patient can be new or established. And one thing to keep in mind shared or split services do not apply to consultations or mandated nursing home visits. The documentation must identify the two practitioners who perform the visit. The level of service is determined by combining the documentation from both practitioners and reporting one E&M code as if it was provided by a single practitioner. We bill under the practitioner who provides the substantive portion of the visit. If you are utilizing time we would add the time together for both providers, and the provider who has greater than 50% of the total time would then be the billing provider. If you're using um, medical decision-making to select the level of service, the substantiative portion can be determined by the provider who documents in full one of the three key components from the old EM guidelines. That would be history, exam, or medical decision-making. The guidelines also state that the practitioner providing the substantive portion must sign and date the note. Shared or split care visits now require modifier F as in Frank S as in SAM. Coming January 1st, 2024, these guidelines will change and all split shared visits will be reported based on time. This means that each practitioner must document time in addition to the service they provided. The time is then added together and the practitioner with greater than 50% of the total time will be the billing provider. Look for that to be implemented January 1st, 2024. So a lot of guideline changes. Um, I know I've kind of had the questions up here. I haven't been paying attention to them as I've been speaking, but I I know that my cohort here has that all taken care of. We're going to jump into our Q&A session
2: Thank you, Becky. You did a great job. So, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and get started on some of these questions. Becky, first one here this is one that came in in writing before the, the webinar. This one is uh, Does continue current meds qualify as moderate decision making for prescription drug management?
1: Okay, so one of the things that you want to remember is that overall medical decision making cannot be determined just based on medication management. So we are still looking for the two out of three components. Prescription drug management does meet the category of moderate risk. However, either your data or your complexity must also meet or exceed that moderate level. The provider has to be managing those medications, and the medications and dosages should be documented in the medical record. So best practice here is the provider should indicate what medications specifically are being continued.
2: All right, next question. Can we get credit on complexity of data for ordering an x-ray if we own the x-ray equipment and we took the
1: x-ray as well? If you are billing for just the technical portion of the x-ray and not the professional portion then yes but you cannot take credit for review of the x-ray as it is assumed that if someone orders the x-ray it will be reviewed either on that day or a subsequent day so one thing to always keep in mind here it is assumed that if you order a test or a diagnostic test, a lab, whatever it may be, if you order it, it's assumed that you're going to review it. So you can't take credit for ordering it on the day you order it and then reviewing it at a subsequent visit. So I hope that makes sense. Okay. So the next
2: question is, what is the best method to use for auditing chart notes? with the new ENM guidelines and to confirm the level of service build?
1: <laughs> That's a good question. So it is really dependent on staffing. We find that there's a lot of smaller practices that don't have a a robust coding or auditing department. And you know the OIG does recommend that every provider be reviewed annually at least once annually we always used to look at this i've been in the industry for a long time and i know kathy has too we always used to look at this as oh let's just randomly select 10 encounters um, for each provider that we're going to review and what we found is if if you're going to do a review an annual review it's best off to choose your encounters based on risk so, we like to do risk based auditing services. The way that we do that, um, we have a software that we use to determine overall risk for providers or even specialties. And we determine what levels of service and what categories of codes are putting this provider at risk. And those are the ones that we want to review. And then we want to give education back to the provider so that they can correct things along the way. And that education isn't necessarily that they're doing it wrong. It's that there may be some documentation improvement that can be done to make their documentation more clear and concise. If you need help with that, we're happy to assist you with that. We're happy to show you a software program that we have that we use to determine risk and therefore get some good audits with some good information.
2: Thanks, Becky. So I'm gonna throw a couple at you that came in during the uh, presentation here. Does the modifier AI need to, can it be, they said does it need to also be appended to the observation admission? Yes,
1: it should be. For whoever writes the order to place the patient in observation, that is the attending physician and they should do a modifier AI.
2: Oh, here's one of my favorite questions. So I know you're going to love this one. We had someone tell us they can bill an office visit and a hospital code on the same day. Uh, it says per page 23. I think she's talking about page 23 of the AMA CPT guidelines. Do you want to address that one? Office visit and hospital code on the same date of service? Well, here's the thing. They have to go to both locations, right? But Medicare has a difference of opinion, right? Yes.
1: So, for you know, AMA has said that in a different location, different place of service, you can code two EMs and you would put a 25 modifier if they were seen at the clinic first. You would put a 25 modifier on the clinic visit, but then you have to go to the hospital and actually do the visit there. That has to be one thing. You cannot code for anything that's not face to face with the patient. You also want to be very careful that you're not double dipping on the documentation. So you can't use your office visit note, copy and paste it into an inpatient note and say, there you go. That's the, You've already covered all that. What's the medical necessity behind that? For CMS, you can only code one E&M per day. So you're going to have to combine that documentation together. If you do indeed have two different places of service, you're going to have to combine that together and code only one EM. and yeah. So very CMS different.
2: Was very clear in the final rule this year that they even though that uh, it's in the CPT guidelines that it's allowed that CMS uh, does not uh, allow that. And again, that's in the Federal Register. So uh, in the uh, final rule, which is published in the Federal Register. So if you have uh, any questions on that. It's probably something you're going to be hearing a lot more about because I'm sure the AMA and and AMA and CMS really do want to come together on these guidelines, but right now there's prolonged service codes, and this is another one in which they disagree. So Becky, one clarification question. Someone asked, what do you mean by shared medical record?
1: So a shared medical record is, and when I said that we typically see this in inpatient or observation, and I'm just going to use EPIC. The hospital system is on EPIC and all documentation within either inpatient or observation is performed in that same system in EPIC. That is now considered a shared medical record in that if you have a consultant, they do their documentation and the requesting provider can log into EPIC and see the consultant's documentation. That is a shared medical record. So they're doing all of their documentation within one platform.
2: Well, there's a lot more great questions here, but unfortunately, we're way over time. And so we're going to go ahead and end. We will be answering all of the questions in writing, and we will be sending them out your email address that you registered with. Catherine and her team will be sending out the CEUs if you request them. There is a survey as soon as you exit out that you'll get. We did get a question very early on about AHEMA, whether they accept, whether we have a separate CEU for AHEMA. We did not. And the reason is, is because they will accept an AAPC CEU. I've been certified by both organizations since 1999. And uh, AHEMA has always taken the AAPC CEU certificates. So I promise you, I actually went on their website just to be sure. As long as it's a pre-approved AAPC, CEU, and it is, and you'll get one and a half CEUs for today's presentation. We want to thank everybody for attending. And uh, if you have any additional questions, you, know, you, you can reach out to us at that contact at panaceainc.com email address that's displaying. If you need any help with your auditing services, we're here to help and our ed- additional education. So uh, thank you again for joining us. Thank you very much.